I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, once again to chapter 8. We'll study together verses 18 through 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. This is God's eternal and inviolable word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold is the law of the Lord. And sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Let's pray together. Lord, your mercy is astounding. Your knowledge of us ought to cause you to cut us off and abandon us. Oh, Lord, yet you condescend to us that we might read a wonderful testimony that our present sufferings have no comparison with the coming blessings that you will pour out in us and upon us and to us in Christ. Heavenly Father, minister to us this morning. O Lord, apply the heavenly salve of the grace of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you suffer, Christians? Do you suffer? Of course you do. Of course you suffer. Some of us suffer daily. And for some of us, those sufferings have the character of spiritual persecutions. And for others, there are not only spiritual persecutions, but struggles with sin and the inner person where we would have wanted to entirely cut off the things with which we struggle to the detriment of our own souls 
And yet there are others who struggle every day with physical pains and some with disabilities of a variety of types. There are even many of you who struggle with anxieties and mental anguish. With days that feel so dark, so helpless that you wonder, is there even any light to be had at all in this life? And yet even there is more suffering because some of you suffer the pain of continued grief. It is absolutely true, as it has been said by so many, everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. In verse 17, as we studied last time, the Apostle Paul drew our attention to the fact that our Savior suffered greatly as he walked in obedience to his Father's will. And also, that as Christians, if we are in him, we will suffer assuredly, but that our sufferings are not alone, but are every day attended by Christ with whom we have unity in soul and unto the coming day of glory. And here in verses 18 through 25, Paul draws our hearts and minds to the topic of suffering as Christians. And he teaches us four truths that we all need to be reminded of as we suffer a variety of things in our daily lives. First of them in verse 18 Your sufferings are not ultimate. Your sufferings are not ultimate. Secondly, your suffering is not meaningless. Verses 19 through 21, your sufferings, your suffering is not meaningless. Thirdly, your suffering is not permanent. Verses 22 and 23. And in the fourth place, your suffering is not hopeless. Verses 24 and 25. And so let us turn our attention to verse 18. And behold the truth that your sufferings are not ultimate. Paul wrote, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The first thing I want you to notice is that in verse 18, the Apostle Paul does not segregate any person. He doesn't even segregate between Christians and non-Christians. It is a simple presumption that suffering is a reality For all people. And he doesn't delve into it to any great depth. He doesn't attempt to make a point. Because I dare say that the only people in the room that may have any question about the reality of suffering may be the very youngest among us. But they're not immune to suffering either. And so many of them, if they had the maturity of years, could interpret their own struggles under the heading of the suffering that comes because they are in flesh and in a life that is lived in a fallen world. The second thing I want you to see is not only that suffering is universal, but likewise that it is plural. 
Whenever the Apostle Paul describes this, it's not as if creatures, people, Christians have one season of suffering. There's one great thing, and as if you're living your whole life just wondering, when's the shoe going to drop? When is it finally going to come and happen to me? Now, some of us are living and we haven't experienced the suffering of grief. And we look and we know, theoretically, to the day, I'm going to lose someone. I'm going to lose someone very close to me. Everybody loses somebody. One out of one dies. It's an absolute truth unless the Lord comes before it occurs. And you may be saying, well, that might be the big suffering, the the ultimate pain, the end thing that may happen, theoretically, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, let me just say to you this. That's not the only suffering that you can or even probably are enduring. And for some of you, the suffering, that sort of grief, it's not only something you know, but it's a thing that you carry around every day. Every time you wake up, that person's not there. They're lost. They're gone. Those years of profitability have been stripped from you. That physical capacity that you once reveled in, it's gone. And there's grief over it. And you carry it around as baggage, and it is the sorrow of your heart That yes, that may be one aspect of suffering, but then compiles itself to a variety of other sufferings. No one is exempt. Not the young, not the old. All persons experience suffering of a variety of types and will experience suffering. And so Paul is writing to us and he's he's like a good friend, an older brother that says, I've walked down this path. I know what it is to suffer. Paul had been flogged, he'd been beaten, he'd been thrown over walls and stoned. He'd been hated, he'd been derided, he would be imprisoned and put to death eventually. Paul knows what it is to be a sufferer because he walked after Jesus, the righteous one who suffered for all of us. And he says something in verse 18 that you may or may not be very comfortable with. Depends on how you read it. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And you're saying, what does that mean? Paul doesn't know me. This sounds offensive. He hasn't lived where I live and the issues that I live under. He hasn't lost specifically the people I've lost. He hasn't endured specifically the pain that I've endured. How can he tell me that my suffering is not worth comparing with what's coming? He doesn't know my suffering. Is he just saying that your sufferings are minor? That they really aren't that bad? Friends, that's not at all what Paul is saying. In fact, that sort of reading of this verse would undo everything that is the point that he is making in verse 18. He's not saying those sufferings you have, just be tougher. That's not that bad. And how can I say that? Well, it is because that Paul is saying that those sufferings are great. They are horrible. Those grief-bound sufferings that we experience, 
They are like a mountain. They are more numerous than you can count, than I can count. They are bad. They are almost inestimable in this life. They are so significant, so life-affecting, that whenever you consider them, and you think over them, and your mind gets all the way to the very top of the mountain of your sufferings before you, that Paul can then tell you that even those things, even their great measure, even the hot pain of their torment are still outdone by the love and blessing that God intends to give to you and to work in you on the day of glory. Do you understand how those two things, the former reading cannot possibly match that? Because if he made little of your sufferings, he would be making little of the glory of God. It serves his argument so much more to see your sufferings as they are in all of their facets and in all their greatness. Because then he can say, as great as that is, as high and unscalable is that hill, God's love is even so much greater A great God, greater than great sufferings, who gives even greater grace and blessedness. It's wonderful what he's saying. It's inconceivable what he's saying for me and for you. It really is. Something you may have noticed a moment ago, especially if you're reading in the ESV or the NASB. Those are the two translations that read like we have. That those sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. The ESV reads, to us. And ASB reads, to us. You heard me read, in us. You may say, Pastor, I was sleeping when you read the Bible a minute ago. I didn't hear that. The word there that's translated, the King James Version, it's a very small preposition, okay? Very small It can be translated to us or in us or, quite frankly, both at the same time. That the glory that God intends to give to you and to me as Christians who suffer, that it's not just something that he's going to take and then hold out to you as a present wrapped into a box. Like, here's the thing. This is what you're going to get on that day. It's going to be like a crown to put on your heads or like a robe to place upon your backs, a trophy to be held after a successful and victorious race that has been won, but rather also that the glory of the Lord will be worked. This greater glory is going to be worked in us. It is both of those things. And why do I emphasize this? It's because your sufferings are not just external things that happen to you, They are experienced things that often rise up in you. Things that hurt your body, that are naturally disposed from within your humanity. 
diseases of various types. They are the assault of the spirit that happens within the mind with depression and sadness. All sorts of things in you. They are the assaults of Satan that cause you to sin and that sin to then destroy your heart, your mind, your eyes, and your inner life as well as your outside and your external living. It's not one, it's not only the other, it's both of these things. And Paul is saying to you that the aches of your heart and the struggles of your mind are going to be redeemed whenever his glory is poured out not only to you but in you that's what he's saying and why is this so important well it is because friends as we suffer the worst seasons of our suffering and our being small finite creatures as we are you and I can't see beyond those sufferings we can't our eyes are not good enough our minds are not transcendent we can't see the future the worst phrase in the world would have to be for the foreseeable future that's meaningless only one person sees the future it's the Lord you and I can't see it as every weather forecaster in Germany knows. You and I can't see what's coming. We can't see it. But when we're in our sufferings, and I've learned this in my own life, but also it's sitting at the bedside of sufferers in the church, is that so often the darkness is so dark, the height of our suffering so high, the depth so deep that all sufferers often see is the darkness of it. And so suffering becomes so ultimate that we despair. Even Christians despair. And there is even the testimony of professing Christians who not only made professions but showed fruit being so much in despair that they even committed a sin in the taking of their own lives. That is reality because our eyes very often see our suffering as completely ultimate. The thing that we will never be without, we can never get over, and our hearts fall in despair and are hopeless. And Paul is saying, brother or sister, the glory and the grace of God is greater than those things it seems So dark, so painful, so horrible right now. But his hand is greater. His love is more than even this. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. That our God is greater and his love will be poured out in a greater fashion than he even allows us to suffer. Praise our God that your and my sufferings are not ultimate. Verses 19 through 21, we see that your sufferings are not meaningless. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As we suffer, yes, we understand, at least in part, I hope, that our sufferings are not so much that God cannot outdo them. But you and I often fall into the ditch that Satan loves to be at the depth of, whispering up, saying, come on down here. That physical pain, that broken heart over the loss of a loved one, that loneliness that you feel, all of the grief that's in your life, all of that's meaningless and it's so far beyond the control or the plan, or the intention of God. All of these things are an accident. And because they're an accident, there is no one to help you. That's what you get if you go down the road of the confused and erroneous teaching that sufferings have no place in the will of God and they're nothing but a great accident. It's a hopelessness. You're trapped under them. There's no way out. But in verse 19, the apostle, he expounds our suffering in the light of creation. That's what he specifically says to us in verse 19. For the creation, that's everything, that's not just me and you. And it also doesn't take us out of the picture, okay? We're in there. We're creatures, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Everything, every blade of grass, every microbial life form. All of it. The protons, the electrons, the rocks that don't have emotions, that don't have minds, that don't have eyes or mouths or ears. Every squirrel, every fish, everything. In all of creation, the stone that makes up this platform upon which I stand, all of it is waiting in eager longing for this one specific day, and that is when the sons of God will be revealed. What's he talking about? Well, it's the day when Christ returns And all who will be saved, all who will be the children of God, have been saved. And are standing before the world and before their Lord, being called his beloved sons and daughters. And that that is a day where not only they will be redeemed, but everything will be. That's what Paul is talking about here. That everything waits, everything is longing eagerly for this. And in verse 20, he continues, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Sometimes there is a myth that goes around, and it is not a new one, and it is simply this. That the worst thing and the only thing that is wrong in this world, and if we would just remove this issue, the whole world would be, well, perfect. And the thing that they point to in all of creation 
is you and me. We're the problems, not Christians, mind you, but humans, persons. We're the problem, and certainly we make plenty of problems for the rest of creation. There's no doubt about that. We strip mine, we burn things down, we abuse and use and bring things to extinction. We are problematic. There is no doubt about that. But the reality is, is that all of creation fell in the fall of humanity. All of it. All of it. Can you imagine this? It's not only that you and me, that no human would have died if not for sin, but rather, likewise, no bird would have died. Likewise, no fish would have died. Likewise, no cell in any body of any creature would have died nor had mutated and then brought death. Death did not enter the world but through sin. And Paul is telling us how this is. How is this that all of the world fell whenever humanity fell? Well, it didn't do so willingly. It's not as if all creation just thought Adam looked wonderful and wanted to be on team Adam even as Adam fell and lost his life. It wasn't willingly, the apostle says, but because of him who subjected it. God did this. God subjected all creation to suffering because of the sin of Adam. It was subjected, it was placed under the curse that comes from sin, which is death and suffering. It is all under the purposes of God. That's what Paul is saying. Suffering is not random and it is not apart from his control. And you're sitting and you're asking me, but why, Pastor, why would he do that? God is good. I know that. I've read it in the Bible. I've heard you preach it and teach it. Why, pastor? Why would that be? If he could remove all suffering, why hasn't he done it? And friends, I want to know exactly what you want to know. I do. I want the very specific answer. But I'll tell you this. He hasn't given us the specific answer for the specific suffering that you experience and I experience. Now, in retrospect, as you look back on suffering, so many of God's people have been able to interpret his providence and his allowance for suffering and actually see a purpose there. They have. I've had friends who have died with cancer. I've had friends who who are still living who have suffered with a variety of diseases that will say... In the moment, I couldn't see it. In the moment, I was desperate. In the moment, I was completely and totally overwhelmed with pain. But now I see that he made me so desperate for him. I trusted in my body. I trusted in medicine. I trusted in my family. I trusted in every other thing. And he used that to strip it all from me and put my hope and trust in him alone. 
And you may ask me, well, pastor, are you saying that every single thing is just to make me believe? That seems a bit cruel. I won't say that. I'll tell you this quite simply. The Lord knows what he's doing. He withheld a specific answer to every suffering from the Apostle Paul. And he's also withheld a specific answer to every individual suffering from us. However, we are not left without an answer at all. Verse 21, the Apostle Paul continues and he talks about creation, that it will be set free from bondage. That God has an intention, that there will be a time where this ends, there will be freedom like the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's he talking about? Well, I think Paul would say that the meaning of all of this is that God subjected everything to this kind of suffering for the sake of redeeming all things. To work out his good plan to redeem us from our own guilt. To work out his plan to redeem us from our suffering, from sin, and from death. That is Paul's explanation of why we suffer. And that is because the Lord is redeeming us from it. You say, I don't understand that. Maybe even you say, I'm not very pleased with that. That's not a sufficient answer for me. But friends, that's what I have to offer to you. And I think it ought to be a great comfort to all people that the Lord is not distant from your groaning, your suffering, and the suffering of this world. From the injustices, from the genocides, from the diseases from all of the times where a family is at the side of a grave. He intends to redeem even those things and to give new life. For me, that's an answer I can live under, and that's what he's given us in his word. May he give you peace through it to simply have faith that he knows better than we know, and he is intending it to bring us out from the grip of death and sin. Verses 22 through 23, your sufferings are not permanent. Your sufferings are not permanent. Look at the verses with me, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Did you pick up on anything that's constant in those two verses? It is the language of anticipation, expectation, to give it another word. Eagerly longing The temporary, although intense, so I'm told, groaning of the pains of childbirth. The inward groaning, even of ourselves, as we wait eagerly. Now, why do I make this point? Well, you may well know what it is to wait. In fact, if you're driving at all on the Audubon, you know what it is to wait. Especially if you're going to Boobling right now. Waiting, waiting that seems to never end. 
waiting that just has nothing in sight. Maybe you've experienced this. You've been waiting for many things your whole life and you don't really have an eagerness. You're just hoping eventually it happens. You're not longing. Your, your soul's not reaching for it and looking to it. That's not what Paul is describing. Eagerly longing. Temporarily groaning. Eagerly waiting. There's progress and there is a time that is coming and there's an assurance here. It's coming. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that even in the midst of suffering, these things will not last forever. They won't last forever. This suffering will pass. There will be something that is brought forth from it. And I just love, I want to return to this for just a second, Paul's description of this eager longing and waiting with the pains of childbirth. I have never, nor will I ever, deliver a child from my body. Ever. I'm a man. It can't happen. However, my wife is a woman, and she has had several children, and is set to have yet another. And I have not experienced in my body the pain of childbirth, but my hand has experienced the subsequent pain that comes from the childbirth of a woman. And it lasts for a moment. There's groaning and longing and screaming from the woman in childbirth, but there is coming a thing, not just anything, but a person who's living on the other side of it. Life is the trajectory of suffering. It is certainly the expectation of every woman who is experiencing the pain and the labor of childbirth. What's Paul saying? He is saying that as Christians, we should be anticipating a day that is coming where the suffering that we right now are experiencing is over. Where the only cries will be the cries of new life and joy as we live in new bodies that don't have pain, that don't have anguish, that don't have sorrow and depression, that don't have suffering. Indeed, the whole world has run out of suffering and will never gain any again. Paul is saying your sufferings are not permanent. They are temporary. They are passing. And a day is coming and it's going to be glorious where you are free forever from sin, death, suffering, and everything that comes from that chain of unbroken punishment. How does that meet you, really? How can that help you? Years ago, I was a youth director. I had a number of children, young kids, teenagers, that were part of my youth group. One was a young man who I'm very close to, who is now a minister of the gospel in the PCA, married a girl in the youth group. But when he was in my youth group, uh, he was away for the summer at a camp, and I got the news that his mother had breast cancer, pretty serious breast cancer. And it had already been told to him. And he's at camp, and he's grieving. The first thing I did was I got in the car and I drove to him a couple hours away. I ran to him, hugged him, we're both crying. We know his mother. He loves his mother. 
And I said, brother, I'm so sorry. And his response has stuck with me my whole life. He said, I know that God is good. And I know that God loves me and my mom. And I can deal with this because I know that it will end. This won't be forever. You take a step back and you wonder, is he just expecting successful chemo? Successful breast removal surgery? He was looking at the day of glory. He was saying, even if my mother dies and I stand at the side of her grave, she won't lay there forever. My God will raise her even from the grave. I'm certain of it. I can walk through it. That is where the testimony that your sufferings are not permanent comes home to a life lived in the face of suffering and experiencing it day to day. Verses 24 and 25, your suffering is not hopeless. Look at the word together with me. For in this hope, that is the hope of the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And here at the very beginning of verse 24, Paul identifies the hope of the salvation not only of our souls, but of our bodies with the very beginning of our faith. That the faith that saves is not only faith in the spiritual redemption of your soul, but in the absolute assurance that if Christ was raised from the dead, likewise your body will be raised from the dead. That's at the beginning of your walk, the beginning of your salvation. It's not only what you look forward to, but it is in every way the gospel testimony that saves that not only the soul is saved, but likewise the body will be saved. And Paul in verse 24 begins that. He says, in this hope we were saved. That we were looking forward to it, that we did not want to experience death and lay in the grave forever, but that we had assurance in Christ that life everlasting was not only life spiritual, but body and soul. And Paul says, this is what we're talking about. And then he addresses the question of hope. Because in so many seasons, whenever the suffering of life or the grief at the grave of a lost one that just persists for not just days, not just months, not just decades, but a whole life through, Paul says, he says this in verse 24, now hope that is not seen is for hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees he's identifying the invisibility the invisibility of the future the reality that there is no foreseen things in the future with our eyes he's identifying the reality that 
sufferers struggle not seeing. And Paul is saying, but friend, don't you know that that's not even hope? If you can see it, it's not hope. It's not a thing you look forward to. It's not a thing that you press on for. It's not a thing that you expect. Rather, if you can see it, it's a thing that you have. It's a thing that's present. And your experience, friend, is just not simply that you already have the resurrection of your body, the full and complete release of the whole of your humanity from the grips of sin and all of its effects. You don't presently have that. The testimony of the gospel is that you will. And you can't see it right now. It is an invisible and future hope. It is a thing that is held in the heart of God. And it is an absolute promise that God has given to you to fix your heart on. This wonderful, unseen, future reality that he has promised to you. The resurrection of your bodies. And you say, well, what do I do with that? What good is that? Well, it is for you to continue living in this life, even in the face of suffering. Verse 25, we wait for it with patience. How do you endure all of these things? Well, it is that you hope in the promises of God And you are patiently pursuing them every day in your mind and your heart. In faith, being constantly reminded from his word and the fellowship of his people that if God has said a thing, he will bring it about. And he is wise. And I need to sit still, even in the midst of my suffering, and have patience because I have hope in him. I can endure this because I know he is good. I can endure this because I know he loves me. I can endure this because I know that this will end. And so I will wait for him with patience. May the Lord work these truths in our hearts. Place it upon us like armor. Grow us up into maturity in this rich soil of the grace and the mercy of our Lord and help us to have a grip upon Christ that is not only upon the cross but upon his risen form. Let us pray together. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your constant care, for your daily mercy. O Lord, in the assurance that we have from your word, Help us as your people to stand. O Lord, make our faith to be sure. Help us to be secured in Christ in every season, in every difficulty, and in every trial. O Father, give us faith that we may be patient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.